Welcome to Pod at the Montecito, the world's premier podcast discussing the hit NBC television show Las Vegas. I'm one of your hosts, Judson Clark. Now I'm your host, other host, but that the but the. We're gonna try that again to see if we can do podcasting like a normal human being. I'm your other host, Eddie McCarthy. Hey, bud. Uh, I hope your command of the English language is better than mine today, because apparently we're starting off rough. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, a new high watermark for how quickly our show's gone off the rails. Just, kind of just trying to get those sevens out early, man. Holy shit, that was that was a little rough start there, bud. Yeah, uh, we're we're still we're still playing from behind, I guess, but we're getting there. We'll we'll be all right. It's spring training, you know. I haven't shaken all the rust off yet. That's fine. Just got to get it together by opening day. Couple good cuts. We'll be back. We're getting our production schedule back on track after the snowpocalypse. So we're recording this pretty quickly after our last recording. So I don't really have anything to touch on other than front of the podcast. Brian wrote in, says he is the 651 that left that Apple podcast review, though he claims, among other things, that his area code is not a defining characteristic of his person, which the, the username seems to say otherwise. But hey, what are you going to do? I, I like that he feels like he got exposed and he needs to to retrench <laughs> there. But it's OK, Brian, your secret's safe with us. The Twin Cities are legit. I think I've never been there, but I've never been, but I, I have no issue with them and like the hold steadies from there and they reference the Twin Cities a lot. So that's pretty cool. Good friend of ours lives in the Twin Cities and seems to really enjoy it. Shout out underground tunnel system so they don't have to go outside when it comes negative five for six months out of the year. I mean, I guess that is a positive, though, caused by huge negatives. So I don't know how much credit I can give that one. They're adapting to their surroundings and... I think we have to give credit for that. Always good to adapt. Judson, on this selection Sunday, I select, we just do the damn thing. Okay. With the first overall pick in the NBA draft. No, Sam, I'm mixing my basketball metaphors here. Indeed you are. But luckily we're not getting paid either. So it works. Well, so this is the pot of the Montecito, Michigan State Spartans brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. <laughs> And yet we're not getting paid. So fuck Rocket Mortgage. You get your mortgage from literally anybody else. <laughs> Pieces of shit. It's season two, episode seven, the Montecito Lancers. Wouldn't it be Montecito Lancers? No. Lancer is not Italian. Like Montecito. <laughs> Why can't you see what you're doing to me? What you're doing to me? We start with a city flyby shot set to the tune of the old school NFL theme music. I guess NBC didn't have NFL at this point, but it seemed weird that they would go to the Monday Night Football song. Well, I don't remember when Monday Night Football became Sunday Night Football in terms of import. I want to say it was like 06, 07, 05. It may have just happened, actually. Now that I say that. It seems weird that NBC wouldn't have used their own theme music as opposed to using a rival network. That's fair. But the theme song is the backdrop for a, a flyby through the city, taking us to a football field in the Spring Valley or Sumlin area, somewhere west of the Strip, where Mike and Danny and technically Delinda DeWurst are coaching a football team. And it's the Montecito Lancers against the Palms Malusers. I'll set the stage for you. It's third and six on the opponent's 19-yard line. There's seven seconds left in the game. Lancers down four. You even hear the announcer say... Down by four, field goal won't do it. I want to be like, bro, it's fucking Pop Warner. They don't have anybody who could <laughs> kick a field goal, okay? Pretty sure that the 
Palms did not get to 21 because of any extra points. That was probably an auto seven. How did then the Lancers get to 17? They didn't kick a field goal. There was an error in the timing booth of the scorekeeper's box. I don't know. They did not kick a field goal. I will accept so many things. Two touchdowns. It's NFL Blitz rules where the extra point is free or you can go for two. Okay. So they, they went for two on the second touchdown. Ensuing kickoff return. The guy inexplicably went out at the one. Safety on the next play. There's your 17. Obviously. Clearly. So third six, opponent 19, seven seconds left. It's time for the big one. Now, we don't have access to the all 22, but it looks like they're in I formation. They run a halfback toss off tackle to the right with both the fullback and the quarterback acting as lead blockers. Gotta say, love the fit. Running back into the end zone, untouched, never has to make a cut. Could have had a fucking sandwich on his way like Danny outside the DMV. The the downfield blocking by the Lancers was just incredible. I mean, wide receivers putting in work, everybody. You've got offensive linemen getting to the second, third level. Just phenomenal run game. It seems like the Palms thought they were like they were expecting pass, which look, in any practically any other level of football, that might make sense at this down and distance situation. But at this level, like field goals, they have not completed a single pass all year. You got to run the ball. Correct. I don't know how they don't have 11 guys within four yards of the line of scrimmage on that one. <laughs> Touchdown at the buzzer, though. Lancers win. Well, from the files of it probably wouldn't have mattered. But still, the Lancers score with a little under a second left. And the timekeeper just lets the rest of the clock run out. Definitely some home cooking on that clock. And, you know, the losers would fucking lose their shit if that happened. <laughs> They are calling the Las Vegas Youth Sports Complex. Do you know who we are? We're the Brothers Maloof. I demand a whole new game. The NBA wouldn't treat the Sacramento Kings like this. How dare you? So you have to love this league because there is absolutely no sportsmanship after the game. There's no high five lines. Danny and Mike don't go seek out the other coaches. They're just celebrating with their own team. Did you write the rules of like etiquette and conduct for this league? Because you hate sportsmanship and they do, too. I wouldn't say that I hate sportsmanship. I would. I would. I hate unnecessary forced sportsmanship. Totally different things. Sure. And in your mind, it's all unnecessary forced sportsmanship. (laughs) I did appreciate the Maloofs coming to congratulate them and Danny and Mike just being, yeah, about that bet. Floor seats, motherfuckers. And four of them. So I guess they're each bringing a date. What the hell could they have possibly put up that the Maloofs would have been like, yes, this is a fair wager? Man, I I honestly cannot even come up with a good joke answer because I just I got nothing. I think honestly, it's like we'll get somebody arrested for you or rough them up. Like there has to be some like threat of violence that they're willing to do. We quit our jobs and we'll come work at the Palms for half price. Yeah, I'll, I downloaded all of the porn pictures that were taken at the Montecito during that case, and I will make sure you have access to them. Like, there's nothing they have that the Maloofs want. Though, I guess they do spend a lot of time at the Montecito. So, I don't know. Maybe they're going to get him in somewhere or put him up in a suite for free. A nice little uh, cabana at Bella Petto. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, Danny's giving his post-game speech when DeWurst interrupts to tell the kids to get their uniforms dry cleaned because otherwise their colors will run. Don't care. Would like to point out, this is the penultimate game of the season. Should we have established what the laundry procedure is already? Of of the many, many, many problems with this line. Sure, that's one of them. Yes. Thank you. 
And then we get some light flirting between Danny and Mary as we head off into the credits. Light flirting is is maybe playing it too lightly. I guess it depends on how serious you think Mary is about the shower line. It seemed pretty serious and also pretty creepy because ostensibly there would be kids in those showers. (laughs) Which is why I think it is not serious, because otherwise Mary's going to prison. It seems like she should be in this instance. Danny, however, unfazed. He's in. Unless they're going to drive all the way back to one of their homes, in which case I think they need to clarify which shower. So that's why I think it's not serious and therefore falls under the category of light flirting. Mm. Okay. We come out of the theme song. We're up at security where Mitch and Ed are talking about the Lancers. Ed said he just watched the game again. And this is fucking wild to me. First of all, they're recording Pop Warner. We'll, we'll later learn that. Yeah, apparently a lot of the kids, are, a lot of the kids parents are OK, fine. And hell, maybe Ed's surveillance bubble extends to all corners of the known world. And he tasked a CIA satellite to film all 22. I don't know. But he watched the game again. Why in God's name would you watch a shitty little kid football game twice? What? Why would he have even watched it the first time? No, no part of that makes any sense. No, we're, we're already on a peyote field at Bender. Mitch, however, not missing the chance to get jokes in because he knows he's only going to get eh, max 90 seconds of airtime. Gets a very good. I heard it was all because of Delinda's play calling joke in. Well played, Mitch. Just keep that hot hand firing. I mean, at some point. We're going to have to talk about incorporating him to the chip leader because this guy, he's never at the premier table, but he is always picking up blinds, winning the occasional pot, never dumping chips. I mean, every out of commercial break highlight from the non main table just happens to involve Mitch raking a huge pot. Yep. And like on very solid plays, it's not like he's just getting lucky. He's making some bluffs. He's winning hands the old fashioned way. I mean, he is certainly at least ahead of Delinda and Nessa with barely any screen time and honestly catching up to Mike pretty quickly with season two. Nessa's got an issue. She wants to bring up with Ed a normally exceedingly reliable dealer of hers by the name of Mark Kern hasn't shown for work in a few days. And he's the kind of guy that never misses work. No calls. No one can get a hold of him. She sent another dealer by his place. It's dark. No lights. Neighbors haven't seen him. No luck. Ed's initially going to just blow this off. She's like, hey, I wouldn't have brought it to you if this was small potatoes, motherfucker. Like, I came to you with this. Let's actually do something about it. And so that's like, okay, yeah. Immediate 180 goes from complete blow off to, of course, you're right. I trained you. I'm going to look into it. And they start by summoning the guy's ex-wife, who happens to also work at the Montecito. Just then, Mitch advises Ed that Brunson has shown up, and we whoosh through the security camera to the floor, where Brunson is swinging a golf club in the middle of the lobby, and his aide-de-camp is demanding two tubs of the shitty peppermint ice cream from some unnamed employee. Are they required to stock it? Like, why didn't they just have the factory send some over ahead of time? I guess that would have tipped his hand that he was coming. Maybe they just have to have it at all times. I, th- I think that the Montecito just needs to have it. Going back to your, wouldn't it be great to have a bottle at a bar somewhere? Brunson's thing is he wants peppermint ice cream everywhere that he goes. In which case, why does this woman need to be told unless he wants the two tubs right now and in which case brunson why two tubs because we saw these are industrial like 10 gallon drums of ice cream some people like to get in a hot tub full of tattinger some people enjoy a nice bubble bath full of peppermint ice cream i don't know man it's not weird when you're rich it's eccentric i don't think anyone's enjoying a bath of peppermint ice cream that's gonna be terrible all the way around (laughs) there's no parts of it that would be good 
Imagine if you get little pepper bit pieces where they don't belong. I would I would prefer not to. Thank you. Congratulations. RB just shoved a peppermint tricycle up your urethra. <laughs> I did want to go back just because we've got to shout out Mitch when we can. Did it seem slightly flirtatious between Nessa and Mitch when Nessa first showed up? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, there was there was just a hint in both of their voices of, oh, hi, it's you. Wink. I kind of get the vibe. Also, going back to Danny's going away party in season one, that Mitch is a bit of a player. I think everyone likes Mitch and he kind of has a low, like a low burn flirt with probably most women. Yeah. Strong, strong game by me. You know, ladies love cool. Mitch. Ed heads down, makes the necessary pleasantries with Brunson, who's here to check up on the crew and review the last six months of financials. It's a little bit of a, a spot inspection. And he's accompanied by a woman named Mia Duncan, who we learn quickly will be sharing his suite and is seeking mentoring as a casino host. And of course, Brunson insists that Sam do that mentoring. They head up to Sam's office. She's on the phone with a whale that has a net worth of $12.4 which I paused when I was watching it because I couldn't decide if that felt like, a, like an appropriate amount of money to be on Sam's radar. I mean, I guess I have no idea if you're a whale worth $12.4 We have no idea what his net income is, but how much he's putting to play when he comes to Vegas. I feel like He's either very irresponsible with his money, which is unlikely to get to that level, or he's got a huge net income and is playing a lot because otherwise, you know, 12.4 doesn't seem like it's a lot on a per trip, you know, divvied out on a per trip basis to get Sam interested in your action. Yeah, but I could see it being, you know, if this is one of the annual trips, if you're at 12.4, I could, I I think 12.4 would be on the low end of Sam's scale, but that's still good for six figures a trip. Ah, low six figures, right? Yeah. I mean, may, maybe quarter mil. I, I would think quarter. Which explains why when there's a knock on the door and she says, give me a second. And then Brunson says, nope, and comes on in. She just hangs up on the guy. <laughs> she she does not <laughs> have any problems pulling the plug on that conversation. So it was kind of wild because I can't imagine that's going to end well for Sam. And if you're Brunson, you're like, hey, was that a whale? You just hung up on? Like she's not hanging up on Big Willie like that, but. This guy, yeah, you're getting you're getting the plug. And why didn't her office door have a lock on it? Excellent question. Who knows? Uh, a little bit of trivia. The actress who plays Mia, Lindsay Price, worked on Beverly Hills 902 with Vanessa Marcel. 90210. What did I say? 902. Well. Much like our, our emailing friend, Beverly Hills, not concerned with their area code, but the zip code, very important to them. I also don't think their area code is 902. Probably not. I'll go so far as to say definitely not. (laughs) So Sam's like, hey, I'm not really interested in being a mentor. I'm not a good teacher. I don't really give a shit. And Brunson just keeps talking over and past her in the way that I find so infuriating, even when it's not happening to me and making it clear that he is not going to accept no for an answer. Like, this is not a request. This is not for discussion. Sam, meet Mia. Mia, meet Sam. I'm going to go get a shave. Yeah, Brunson obviously likes Sam a lot, but. He is very clear with what the relationship is, and that is, I tell you what to do, and then you do it. Well, and we'll learn later in a very creepy way. I think he mostly likes Sam because she's hot. True. And keeping with Brunson's treatment of women as property, or or chattel, as you might say, I think that uh, it checks. He's like, hey, I got what I wanted, which was to come look at Sam. What I don't want is to hear from Sam. (laughs) So having gotten an eyeful, I'm now leaving. Yeah, bye. Meanwhile, they've tracked down the ex-wife, Lynn Finstad, real 
real rough last name. Not a not a good name for saying quickly. Uh, just just all bad all around. And she looks terrified as she walks into Ed's office. I'm I'm really sorry. I was late this morning. You know, I I could make up the oh, hours. Don't, thinking that's why she's been summoned to the president of operations. You got to think a cocktail waitress getting called up to the president of operations office. Nothing good is about to happen to her. I thought it would have been great if if Ed had done one of two things. If he'd either been bad boss Ed and been like, "That's not why you're here," but I'm going to write you up on that. Or two, if he'd been good boss, I'd be like, that's not why you're here. But hey, tip from a guy who used to work for the CIA, never volunteer information. Let me be your lawyer for a minute. (laughs) Just shut up and wait to see what they want. Would have been good advice for sure. She did not take it. So we find out from Lynn that once we learn that Mark, the the ex-husband is missing, she goes, oh, it's his damn addiction again, which everyone in the office perks up. You know, they're thinking drugs gambling, drinking, what? She goes, no, inventions. <laughs> this is a reminder, if you have an invention addiction, please call 1-800-NO-MORE-NEW. That's 1-800-NO-MORE-NEW. <laughs> Mark, in his invention benders, wait, pretty much wait, blew. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> was that a pre-written joke? No, it was not. Which is good, because if, if it had been... I would have thought, was there really not a better 1-800 number you could have come up with? (laughs) That's how you know it wasn't, because I was trying to think of, oh, this is a good bit. And then I realized, wait, what do I have it spell out? And I know that that's not the right (laughs) amount of numbers. That's not a phone number you can call. Well, it is. It just stops after no more in. You're just, you're hitting the E and W into the ringing. (laughs) But, okay, let's take a moment. Let's workshop this. What would, so first of all, it's, uh, it's Inventors Anonymous. Obviously, is the organization. Obviously. What do you think a better 1-800 number is for them? Given more than three seconds to think about it. Stop. No, that's not going to work. Wait, seven, seven just isn't a lot to. I think you can, re- you can reasonably go to eight or nine because I think that's, that's a, I think a fairly common practice. You know, if you can't get the job done at seven, it becomes much more memorable at eight or nine. I think that's, that's okay. Or we stick to seven and just 1-800-STOP-TRY. <laughs> just give up. It's not going to work. Stop it. one 800 four give up On the one hand, they're not going to be inventing the things. On the other hand, they've killed themselves. So Yeah, the problem is that number goes to a Christian phone line for when you're seeking forgiveness, but you can't get to a confession in time. Is that how that works? Mm-hmm. Anyway, as you were saying... This is not Mark's first inventing rodeo. Turns out it's mostly the reason why they broke up in the first place. He blew all their money, all their savings. He thinks he's going to come up with the next foreman grill. He hides away, goes somewhere secret because this dude knows that somebody's going to steal his inventions. He's probably just playing with his beakers and Bunsen burners and things. So he's a chemist exclusively? She just knows there's a lot of sciencey things involved in the inventing. She doesn't know what they're for. Also, a good opportunity for Gav to get in on a new market. You've got Brunson burners right there. They're just a little bit bigger. And a lot more sexist. (laughs) (laughs) On the casino floor, me and Sam are trying to find their sea legs. Sam is not in the mood to suffer fools. It's basically in let's just get this over with mode, which nearly brings me to tears. Sam's like, Jesus, fuck. Okay, look, you had to know this wasn't going to work out well. You can't just follow somebody for a week. And then, bam, go do the job. And at this point, I was like, yeah, of course, Sam. But why didn't you then, like, start her off by going and sitting in the 
windowless VIP services office reviewing the gameplay of schmucks like us to see if they qualify for a food and beverage credit. Like at least make, you know, I get that Brunson wants her to mentor this woman, but like at some point you gotta be like, Hey, let's go. Well, let's go look at what it's actually going to be like when you start out. And, and we know that Sam knows how to look at files of potential guests. She just did it 10 minutes ago. Yeah. I felt like there's an opportunity for Sam to avoid them going straight to the floor, but whatever. It's obviously not the trajectory Mia's on. And at this point, I was then a little surprised that Sam, who's used to dealing with rich people and kowtowing to their bizarre requests, didn't just slap on a fake smile and get to work. Just basically treat her as a guest for a week. Yeah, you know that Brunson's going to bail pretty soon. This is not a long-term deal. Just play nice for a day or two, and then you never have to deal with her again. Yeah. Brent, the missing dealer's son, has gone to security to lie at a fire under some asses. And it's a good thing that he fucking showed up because so he brought a home video on some DVD, some printed pictures, but also some intel that no one else has has, which is his dad normally calls him every night before bed, but hasn't since he got lost. And critically, he was at the last game. Oh, oh, finally, a lead. We've got ourselves at least a timeline on where to start looking. Sam swings through the beautiful wax to check on a couple of clients. And is that new Notre Dame, Michigan football footage I see? Uh, I don't think it was Notre Dame, Michigan at all, actually. Oh, disappoint. It certainly wasn't the same game. Every time Sam leaves a client, Mia drops off her business card in her wake. And in the case of Dr. Magelli, who's watching said football game, she lingers longer, lightly rubbing his chest and insinuating that she'll fuck him if only he were to gamble more. Aw, come on, Dr. Magelli. If you gamble, I'm sure there's something I can think of that might make your stay more enjoyable. I mean, that's a fairly convincing way to maybe get you to bump your bet. I mean, she can't be thinking about her efficiency rating, though. It's going to take a lot of time. Well, you know, she's just now building a client base. You got to start. You got to start slow one at a time. And eventually you're having a gangbang with all your clients in one room. I'm not saying it's a great plan. I mean, if we review the footage, I think you said it was a pretty good plan. It is a good starter block. Sam is not having this. Gives her a stern talking to about, look, this is how this shit works. You know, my clients, not our clients. You don't say a fucking word. I'm like, yeah, Sam, maybe you should have led with this, like led with the ground rules back when you were giving her the first talking to. I mean, you would think don't offer to fuck the clients is goes without saying. But look, you're starting on a fresh piece of paper with Mia. Gotta start off with the basics. We're not prostitutes. We don't sleep with the clients. Good to know. Write that down. In, in the game of hook or no hook this is a no hook situation. I did think it was interesting that, you know, Mia said, oh, I, I thought that, you know, you get paid more based on what they lose. So I was trying to make us more money. Sam quickly says, one, no us. Two, I get paid on what they wager, whether they win or lose. And I thought that was a very interesting line dating back to some of our other conversations. Yeah, I, I think that's always how I've understood casino hosting to be. They're not really like the casino host doesn't care about whether you win or lose. It's just what you put in play is what your numbers go to. Yeah. Okay. And I think that that is also how she's able to be stating with clients and good faith happy for them when they're winning. Certainly makes more sense that way. And I think also when we think about the comps that we've gotten, it's generally I feel like not really any rhyme or reason to whether I've been up or down on a trip. But mostly if I was up early and therefore tending to bet more as the trip went on things typically went better for me than if I was down early 
and sort of sticking to my my bankroll minimums the entire time. Sure. No, that's true. I do know that some places will credit you back a percent. Like you can basically have an arrangement where you get credited back a percent of your losses, like at the end of your stay. That's pretty I think cool. you've got to be pretty, pretty big swinger to, to get that sort of arrangement. Oh, for sure. Ed's enjoying one of those delicious burgers at Bella Sera when Mike and Danny run up with some piece of tech that Mark invented. Turns out right hand Ruiz got a warrant for Mark's place and once again, Handed over potential evidence to Mike for reasons. The chain of custody in Neon City is not well protected. Holy shit. What if this is the f- fucking murder weapon? I mean. Ruiz is just like, here you go, Mike. I don't know what it is. That that orb looks like it could be murdery. Who knows? I mean, later on, Ed's going to think it's a bomb. I think that's plausible. Or just like you crack somebody over the head with it. Yeah. He invented murder orb. Murder orb coming to a store near you. Courtesy of Lamestream Media, LLC. <laughs> All rights reserved. 2021. But if you call now, we'll cut the price in half. While they're discussing the case, Mike and Danny get ambushed by an employee named Jake. And Jake, he's one of the parents of one of the players on the team, and he has been scouting the Mandalay Sharks. It has some plays drawn up for the coaches. And they're like, oh, yeah, counter traps. Definitely. That's real good shit. Hey, you know what would really help us, though? Why don't you uh, police up any of the game tape that any of the parents might have recorded of the last game? And you know, we know that this is to look for Mark. Jake thinks, you know, this is about furthering the development of the game plan. So he's like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I got you. Let's do that. Instead, Delinda runs up and pushes for the creation of a blooper reel. I honest to God want her off the show at this point. <laughs> I got no defense, man. She has been abjectly terrible season two. And then she wants to bother Mike and Danny about the color of the socks. And I'm out. I am memory holding Delinda until she gets her shit together. I did appreciate Mike and Danny just being like, yeah, we're definitely going to get right on that. We're going to go this way. Bye. Holy shit. I mean, she is just not only is she annoying, but she's also now socially inept, completely unaware of what she's doing. Yeah, I I don't know what happened. Maybe Molly Sims pissed off the writers and they decided to make her just the worst. It's bad, dude. It's at this moment that ex-wife Lynn takes the opportunity to pull a Steve Jobs and one more things, the guys, with the fact that Mark was looking to loan sharks for money. And this might have been useful. Yeah, that that seems like a, a tiny piece of information that you probably should have included up front. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the people who on this show are universally portrayed as evil, bone crashing, skull fracturing, kidnapping people. Yeah, he went to one of them. Was that shit? Did y'all not know that? My bad. Fuck. Anyway, back to the Kino pit. Bye. I did like Danny's reaction of, yeah, of course they're bad guys. One of them shot me in the leg. Remember that? <laughs> that was good. And if he'd had better aim, I'd have been dead. If he'd had worse aim, you would have had a flat tire. I mean, that- Fucking Ed would have had the flat tire. Danny would have been like, oh, shit. Glad this is in my car. <laughs> Hummer tires look expensive. A few hours later, we're in security. Mike, Danny, and Ed are reviewing the assembled footage from the game. And they find Mark was standing at the fence watching when a dark SUV pulled up behind him and a man with a gun took him against his will. Once again, shout out to the Montecito security tech for working on, you know, someone's 1998 camcorder tape that they just happened to give them from their game. Yeah. And Ed asked Mike to run the plate on the car, which turns out is stolen, but not to run video IQ or facial recog on the guy, which we won't get to for another 20 minutes of the episode. I'll get to that later. Now, Jake, the random employee, is ambushing Mary. This time, it's because a bunch of the parents of the Lancers are scheduled to work during the championship game. And the supervisors say, hey, schedules can't be moved without Big Ed's say-so. This has to have been the supervisors 
just thinking that Jake will drop it, right? Like, there's no way he's going to escalate this to the president of operations. There's no chance that he's going to do that. However, Jake, Jake's a smart one. He knows Mary is, uh, she just kind of gives those puppy dog eyes. Like that's a, that's a hard person to say no to. It's a good play by Jake. I think it, it makes me think, you know what guys, go back and take a look at those counter traps. Jake is his master tactician here. A decided schematic advantage on our boy Jake. (laughs) (laughs) And the way he turned around those, uh, that videotape request. I mean, Jake's got resources. He's Jake also ahead of Delinda on the chip lead. Fuck, Jake from State Farm is ahead of Delinda on the chip lead. New or old? Yes. Well played. What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Uh, khakis? Hey, do they ever ask you what you're wearing? We get a random shot of Ed chatting with the Black Eyed Peas. They've been touring. They're about to drop a new album. They just came to the Montecito to hang out. They apparently love the Montecito. Ed knows them all well on a first name basis with Apple D app and Will I Am. Danny's walking up, watches all this happen. As Fergie gives Ed a hug and kiss goodbye, she goes, Damn, Ed, your assistant's fine. Danny then sadly walks up and goes, Ed, what the fuck? Help your boy out here. Where's where's the invite? That could be my future wife. Ed went out of his way to not invite Danny or not introduce him, rather. Like that was like telling him to fuck off for a minute while he finished his conversation. Danny going, would it have killed you to introduce me? And Ed just going, no. Uh-uh. And then walking off yeah. was very good. I don't like asshole Ed nearly as much as I like nice Ed. Like, I feel like we established that rough, tough exterior so that now he could be nice and we don't need to keep regilding the asshole exterior. Every now and then in small doses, it can be pretty funny, though. And this one I found very funny. That's fair. And this is famously the episode where Josh and Fergie met. Young loves so beautiful, so pure. I, I wonder, is Ed being an asshole because he knows how much of a dipshit his daughter's being and it's just pissing him off to no end that she's running around just being an inept, worthless trash can of a human? Certainly possible. On his way to talk to Brunson, Ed swings by Sam's office, drops a couple information bombs on her. Magelli, normally a $250,000 player, down 500 I just signed for another marker. Oh, and by the way, he was gambling during an Illinois game, which he never does. He never does that. All of this is the work of Mia, who happens to walk in at that very moment to grab her purse. In addition to a purse, she's going to get a new asshole fashioned for her, courtesy of Samantha Jane. Poor timing by Mia. Absolutely the worst possible timing. But my question for you, what would get you to go gambling during a Notre Dame football game? Depends on the game. Fair. I thought the answer was going to be basically nothing, (laughs) that you would be camped out watching that game regardless of the opponent or situation. I mean, most of the time, yes. But like, look, if it's late November against Central Michigan and we're not undefeated and there's nothing really on the line, I could probably have my arm twisted. Like if Mia was going to fuck you, you'd probably go gamble. Yeah. Ed, Nessa, Mike, and Danny gather in a suite for Mike to demonstrate how this invention works. And this, in addition to advancing the plot, serves as an opportunity for the writing room to drag out their usual tropes that Mike and Danny are gay together. Ed's old, doesn't understand straightforward modern lingo. Bachelor parties get semen everywhere. Mike's a huge fucking nerd that masturbates to the Sharper Image catalog and also travels with his own pillows. It's kind of the norm. You know, we're just recycling all the old jokes. Yeah, they are really running the Ed not understanding basic slang real hard the last couple episodes. I don't know. I, I It has to be an inside joke that James Caan didn't understand something someone said. And so now they're just beating it into the ground. But ooh, buddy. I hope they find funnier ones soon because these have not been good. No, 
So, so the the plot advancement lies in the fact that this little silver orb thing is not a murder orb, but instead can instantly sanitize a room. And maybe also if it falls into the wrong hands, memory wipe people like a men in black device. It's unclear to me. But by the way, Mark is sitting on an absolute gold mine with this little gadget. Everybody loves a good UV ionization bomb. They finally decide to run facial recognition on the guy who took Mark and find out. Yeah, big surprise. He's a street thug with a rap sheet that's branched out into loan sharking. Who could have imagined? Central casting stays just undefeated when it comes to thug like folks like this guy looks like a mean ruffian. Yeah. Luckily, Danny's got a friend who owns a bar that all the loan sharks all go to or something. So he's going to go check that out. That was so weird to me. It's like there's this, you know, like a biker bar or a stonemason's bar or, you know, a banker's cocktail lounge. And then, oh, yeah, that's the bar where all the loan sharks hang out. What? Well, you don't want to have to go to a bunch of different bars to rate chop between the different loan sharks. You just do it all at one. <laughs> I don't know that you get to do that. I think if you start window shopping your loan around, you're going to get your ass kicked without any money. It's, it's almost like you're saying loan sharks are not the most scurvious bunch. I'm saying that in Neon City, loan sharks are not the most scrupulous bunch. Ah, okay. I would never make such a bold proclamation out here in the real world. Of course not. Certainly not in case my loan shark is listening to this podcast. How is Big Steve doing? Uh, he's fine. I don't, I don't have anything. I wanted <laughs> I wanted to play with you. You came, you met me halfway. I got nothing. Yeah, you know. Uh, you know, loan sharky. Doop, 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 doop. <laughs> that's, that's about all I got. We probably shouldn't sing Baby Shark. Those motherfuckers are litigious as hell. We're, we're flying too close to the sun here. Careful, Icarus. Just need to check if it's on the Spotify fly list or not <laughs> mary's finally walked up the courage nope that's not a word well it is a word just the wrong word mary's finally worked up the courage to talk to ed about rearranging <laughs> can i help you sir and thus with a single step courage began its long walk <laughs> Mary's finally worked up the courage. <laughs> oh, God, this has now become a gag real thing. <laughs> Mary's finally worked up the courage to talk to Ed about rearranging the parents' schedules. And he's like, look, I'm sympathetic to the cause, but I can't lose half my day shift on a busy Saturday. It's just not going to happen. And she guilt trips him with her belief that before he became president of operations, he would have insisted on making sure the parents were at the game. First of all, I don't believe that. Nor do I. Also, he was head of security and none of these people appear to work in security. So he would have no authority to have done it. Also, why is no one talking about shift swapping? It's like, I don't care if they go. I just can't have empty holes in my roster. Have them switch people on night or swing. I don't give a fuck. Seems like there's a whole lot of options that could have worked here. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're just gonna be like, uh, yeah, sure. We can we can be down 25 people. That's fine. I mean, weekends aren't big for casinos, so. No, I don't know, especially not Saturday nights during or Saturdays during football. That's never, never busy. Not even once. It's not like it's a Tuesday in March. I mean, come on. Those are bangers of days. <laughs> Danny parks in the fire lane outside of a closed bar where he knows that moneylenders like to hang out. And we learned that he and the bartender, now bar owner, went to high school together and used to sneak beers at this very bar back when the woman's dad owned it. 
Did you catch the name of the bar, Judson? I did not. If you look on the sign, this bar is called GSTs. <laughs> that is outstanding. So I think this is now the third time that GST has worked himself in in a little Easter egg way. And I respect it. And now I wonder if there are any others that we've missed along the way. Oh, my God. I'm sure there is. Because it's a very quick shot. It's very easy to miss. Well, what I was focused on is I thought this woman looked dramatically older than Danny as to make it improbable that they attended high school at the same time. <laughs> so I hit IMDb and learned that, yeah, she's eight older, eight years older than him. Like the actress is eight years older than Josh. Look, she had a lot of trouble with organic chemistry in high school or just regular chemistry is the one that Probably you do Probably that school. one. I mean, fuck. I don't think Josh, or I don't think Danny, rather, is passing organic chemistry. Yeah, he's, pro- he's probably not on the AP track, huh? No, not with all of his uh, various sporting obligations. But there, on those IMDb pages, is where I also learned that Josh Duhamel had a role in the 2014 movie, Don Peyote. <laughs> Oh, God. You've been really excited for that, haven't you? Yeah, I wish we recorded these videos. Oh. Just for my angry no-sell. Your your resignation is just, uh, <laughs> provides me life. Danny asks about Tony Bradley, the loan shark that nabbed Mark, and a reluctant Cheryl spills the beans on the operation, including that he's moving miniature motorcycles out of a warehouse that how the fuck would she even know exists? Not only does she know about Tony, she knows everything about him. The loan sharks are a talkative bunch when they're in their neighborhood watering hole. I guess. Holy shit. Now, if we had light flirting earlier, we definitely have heavy flirting now taking place between Danny and Cheryl with Cheryl leading the way pretty strongly. And when Danny gives her a thank you peck on the cheek, she pulls him in for a genuine smooch, thereby satisfying the long dormant clause in his contract that Josh must kiss a woman every episode. Yeah, it's, it's good that we're finally back properly adhering to the terms of the contract. But yeah, Cheryl missed her some Danny. She was very excited to see him walk through that door. And she was giving him shit about like, well, you know where I am. You also know where he is. Just go to the Montecito. He's either working there or recreating there he knows no other place back at the casino mia is working some of sam's clients again and pointedly referring to them as our clients which riles sam up even more she pulls me aside for another dressing down this time the thread about look you fuck with my clients i'll I'll put you in the desert and as sam walks away now feisty mia grabs her by the arm and says pulls her right back is like look actually i'm not going back to ac i think i'm gonna try out vegas it seems nice and you can either Play nice with me or I'll have Brunson fucking fire you. The choice is yours. The leverage has switched hands considerably here. Mia reminding Sam that Mr. Brunson or Gavin, as she likes to call him when they wake up in the morning together, is probably going to listen to her, not Sam. So maybe try try that one again. Look, I don't blame Mia. Atlantic City versus Vegas is a no brainer. I mean, Atlantic City versus fucking Tupelo is no brainer. (laughs) But. I'm not entirely sure Mia's got the correct read on the Brunson situation because Brunson is very heavily motivated by money. And I'm not so sure that Mia's going to necessarily win the day if she goes to Brunson with, hey, fire your top earning casino host. It's a risky play, but she sure seems convinced. And as anyone who's experienced it will tell you, confidence is key to selling pretty much anything. (laughs) And Sam looks genuinely scared, like, fuck. All right, well, this might go sideways on me. I better... Do what she wants. Game. The game is on. 
So Sam ambushes Majelli in the steam room. Turns out he no-showed for his dinner with Sam, instead hitting the tables with Mia. Sam, having always delivered the best service imaginable, is curious what could cause Majelli to bounce on her. And he creepily leaves it at, let's just say, she goes the extra mile for her clients. And Sam's like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. She fucked you. All right. Like, you can see the wheels turning in Sam's head like, all right, well, this one's a lost cause. Goodbye, you fucking creeper. Yeah, she gets a nice little guilt trip at the end about how she was his first host back when he was counting down the minutes to midnight where he could get another 800 bucks out of the ATM. But yeah, go have fun. I'll transfer the account. Heartbreaker. I would love to have seen the Sam prequel where she is working downtown. I bet that is a fucking wild TV show. There is plenty of fun to be had with that, I feel like. I mean, it's different fun, different fun from this, but it's plenty of fun. <laughs> Was she working at Slots, Slots of Fun? fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Leaving him to wallow in guilt, Sam calls up Mitch, who she thanks for doing a favor when he lets her know that Brunson's on his way up to security that very moment. And Sam joins them for a nice little surprise, which also gives Brunson's aide a chance to relay how he, Brunson, had creepily been talking about how hot Sam was, which Mitch finds absolutely hilarious, like chuckling down at his lap. And Sam finds, well, creepy, like it is. It is not the way that you should be discussing your employees. Certainly not telling them that as well. Yeah, I just, it's like everyone took their fucking awkward pills this episode. Jesus, Brunson, keep those sort of comments to yourself. <laughs> Sam pivots to some footage they have of Mia going into Majelli's room, but... First, making out in the doorway just a, a touch before 2 a.m. And then emerging a little over six hours later as a crestfallen Brunson looks on. So then Mia's pissed off at Sam for getting her fired. But Sam makes the point, hey, you were fucking your boss and just got fired for fucking someone else. Might want to hire a lawyer. Get some of that settlement money. You dipshit. I can't do all the work for you. I'm trying to help you out here. Just yeah. go away forever and take all this money. This is easy. Yeah. I'm leading you to water. I will hold your head under it if necessary, but I think it would be easier if you would just drink. <laughs> the guys show up at the warehouse that Danny had been tipped off about, and they go to make entry in a pretty humorous way. Mike's got his high-tech gadgets out. I think he's going to, like, freeze the lock or something. Danny's just going to beat it with a fucking crowbar until it pops off. And Ed's like, hey, maybe we just try it first. And yeah, it's unlocked. <laughs> That's the type of shit that you only learn after three decades in the CIA. I don't know why the funniest thing about it to me was the way that Danny just tosses the crowbar into the ditch. Like, just fuck chuck it. that thing about 20 yards. I might have kept it. You know, it's a serviceable weapon, that crowbar. I mean, there may be doors inside the warehouse that you do need to crowbar, crowbar open. Yeah, English is hard, ain't it? Maybe the murder orbs are all in a big crate that you have to crowbar open. Crowbars are very useful thing. Maybe Mark's in a crate that you have to crowbar open. All possibilities. I think I'm out of possible uses for the crowbar that, that seem plausible. I mean, I guess we started with beating someone up with it. That's always a good one. Yeah. I mean, again, we we at Lamestream Media LLC would not recommend you beat people up with it. But if you're in the position where you need to beat somebody up, a crowbar, bueno. Not a bad option. So the Lone Shark is recording an infomercial of sorts in a hilarious fake British accent before reverting to his tough guy accent as the guys walk into frame. And in a rare moment, Big Ed's trying to de-escalate. He's like, hey. We're just going to take work and we're going to get out of here going about your business. Tough guy, not having it. Instead, sucker punches Ed in the gut and takes off on one of his toy bikes. I think it's the first time we've really seen Ed get 
be on the wrong end of an encounter like this. Yeah, I don't think Ed has taken any bumps really up until this point, but that was a solid hook to the gut. Yeah, I, I think Ed's pissing blood for a little bit. Like that looks like it was a liver shot, kidney shot, something like that. I mean, he is down for a while. Yeah. Mike and Danny take off after the guy on their own miniature underpowered bikes as they clearly still hurt Ed, saunters up later, appears to try and start a bike of his own. Mike and Danny still in pursuit. An increasingly frustrated Ed can't get his fucking bike started, picks it up and throws it off screen like it was a fucking crowbar. Everything about this scene was fucking hilarious. The visual comedy was just gold. Well, at this point, it wouldn't matter even if Ed had gotten his bike started. I mean, the chase has been going on for a minute. You won't know if they went left or right out of the warehouse. Yeah, the max speed of four miles an hour on this thing is not going to get you back in the game. But that's fine, because at the moment he hears them, they're circling back. So he lies in wait with one of the most notoriously lethal weapons in the game, a garden hose. Stack rank murder weapons, murder orb, crowbar, garden hose. Uh, In that order. I think you got it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, murder orb as we imagine it murdering or murder orb, the current invention used to bludgeon somebody. The latter. Oh, in that case, crowbar, garden hose, murder orb. I think I flip murder orb and garden hose. I'm going to choke you out with that garden hose. That's, I mean, that is the one benefit to the garden hose for sure. But like, and I think the, the problem with the murder orb is it's slippery. Like you're not going to have a good grip on that. If you miss your one shot at me with the murder orb, now what? It's, I mean, crowbar is your clear number one. The ma- the garden hose, it's so long. It's very cumbersome. Like you're not, you're going to drag that around with you the whole way. Like that's, it's not well, great. Well, I mean, you could also, you could whip it with the brass fittings at the end. How confident are you in your whip abilities that you're going to actually get the guy? More confident than I am at throwing the murder orb at some dude's head. I mean, the murder orb is like softball size. I think I'd take the murder orb. I, th- I, th- I think it's bigger. I think it's bigger than softball size and without any discernible texture to it. Yeah. Good luck getting a grip on that, bro. Shout out to Crowbar. Undefeated. Will it blend? That is the question. By popular demand, today we're going to do the Crowbar. So Ed trips the guy up with the garden hose. Throws a few punches, throat slams the guy, and as is in James Conn's contract, Ed takes down the bad guy, as he always does. The man's a finisher. You got to respect that. Ed, it's championship game time. Da, 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 da. Dun, 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 dun. Da, 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 da. This scene is why I wanted to start this entire podcast. Really? This is it. It's spoiler alert. I am incensed. <laughs> Mark and Lynn cozy with one another in the stands. Kidnapping has saved their failed marriage. But here's the game scenario. It's third and seven on the Mandalay 14. There are 10 seconds left to tie ball game. Montecito calls a timeout. Danny and Mike running. I'm thinking this is a smart move. Get the guys huddled up. Get your best play call in whatever personnel package you need. Nope. They have taken a timeout for the quarterback to take a knee. First of all, what? Second, I mean, just why call the timeout to begin with? Anyway, they aren't going to risk it. Because somehow Mike has, di- has divined that they're going to get the ball first in overtime. How the fuck would they know that? I mean, we don't know what sort of overtime rules the Las Vegas youth sports complex There uses. are no overtime rules in the known universe that specify who will get the ball to start overtime in advance of the conclusion of regular time. For this exact reason. What you don't realize is that Mike twisted the catalytic converters of the murder orb to control frequencies in a way that they can control a coin flip. It's honestly the most plausible explanation I have (laughs) for how fucking Mike would know they're getting the ball first in overtime. 
Now, let us say that that is true and that Mike's not just being delusional and has suffered a concussion or something. What sort of field position do they imagine getting in overtime that's going to replace being on the opponent's 14 yard line? Hard to say. It does. It does seem like you're in pretty good. And I mean, it's third down. You've at least got one free play at it. Right. So their plan for OT as they ch- jog back to the sideline is. All right. I say once we get the ball back in the overtime, we just keep hammering it up the gut. Sure thing, baby. Five yards apart, burning churn, brother. Why not try that here then? Fumbles your only risk, but hey, that's a risk in overtime as well. Now, our idiot coaches aren't even a little concerned that the players, having heard the very simple play call, take a knee, are still huddled up like 15 seconds after the coaches left the huddle. And we know that's because Brent is cooking something else up as he tells the guys, okay, here's what we're going to do. Just the disrespect. It, without blinking an eye. I mean, Brent might as well have been like, fuck those idiots. We're going for it. Everyone strap in. Back at the casino, Brunson's checking out early because he's got some litigation to work out. Whoopsies. Yeah, whoopsies. Council's big head. Uh, maybe don't fuck your employees, which I have to say seems like some unnecessary advice. I think that's somewhat well known. It's just like, you know, you're fucking up when you're fucking an employee. Right. You don't think you're in the right. No one has ever thought this is a foolproof plan that definitely won't backfire in any way. The staff has piled into Bellisera to watch the football game live. So they're still not doing their jobs. Right. You've still lost your entire day shift. Like if they're if you're just going to let them all watch it in the bar, then just fucking let them go. Also, how are we live televising Pop Warner football now? The CIA satellite mm. answers all. Of course. On the field, Brent gives Danny and Mike a lesson in what happens if you shrink in the moment. Because my guy's called his own play. And it's going to be a pass. Not only that, it's a bootleg to his left and he's right handed. So he's going to have to reset his feet so as to avoid throwing across his body. This motherfucker ends up dropping back to the 30. He has surrendered 16 yards already. Launches a slow motion bomb to a wide open receiver who waltzes into the end zone. Everyone storms the field. The Lancers are champions. I am disgusted by everybody. (laughs) The only way that scene is saved is if we cut to a flag on the play. (laughs) We've got to hold. Bring it back. Which there almost certainly was. The motherfucker was dancing around in the backfield for half the time remaining four or five seconds easily. I mean, we know how good the, the Lancers blocking is, so maybe they're just that good. We know how good their run blocking is. Mm. I suspect this is the first time all season they've had to <laughs> use the pass block. <laughs> Definitely a bold roll back the wrong way across your body. But hey, when, when Brent has the ball, Brent's got the damn ball. He's calling his own number, baby. Honest to God, a naked bootleg would have made more sense than his drop back 16 yards and chuck it play. Because we know we're at the edge of his envelope. That arm is not throwing the ball much further. Was a dime, though. The episode's denouement. We fast forward to the team celebrating the season with a pizza party at Mystique, where a good friend, Big Ed, takes the mic. He thanks Danny and Mike for coaching, suggests he might join them next year on the sideline to many groans. Much dissatisfaction at the prospect of having Big Ed prowling the sidelines like an angry Tom Landry. But really, he's grabbed the mic because he's arranged for a surprise concert by none other than the Black Eyed Peas. And we get another awkward dance party by our cast as we're treated to the radio edit version. Let's get it started in here. We definitely went with the more politically correct as opposed to the original version, as expected. But while I'm sure the kids appreciate the concert, it's the end of the season. So what is there to get started at this point? The celebration, obviously. That's already started. The pizza's half gone. What else? What are we starting? Awkward dance party? No, I like to think 
that this is some real Nick Saban bullshit and we're starting for next year right now. <laughs> and as soon as the song's over, Danny and Mike are going to have him start doing shuttles. Yeah. Back and forth across the state. Line up. It's time for Oklahoma drills. <laughs> yeah. I did. As we got all the shots of the cast dancing, which are always fun. I thoroughly enjoyed the. Well, fun. Uh, I, I typically enjoy them, but especially when you get Danny and Ed doing the drunk guys jumping at a concert move together, which James Kahn just giving it his all. Every time I see that, I just think one of those guys is going to roll an ankle. Right. Then we're going to have to ride in a shooting. Then the Decepticons are going to get away again. Come on, Danny. That's at least good for the franchise. Because <laughs> then you get another movie. out. Yeah, of you do get the sequel. So the entire rest of the episode is just a bad music video. Followed by a Vegas at night glamour shot, which reminds you, yes, they closed down their nightclub at night for a kids pizza party on a Saturday. What the fuck? Ed, did you like the episode? I did. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, terrible football strategy aside. It was a very enjoyable episode, I thought. How about yourself? I'm going to read from my notes verbatim. Terrible football aside. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was a fun episode. <laughs> I mean, look, we've got the McFatiff activated. Some actual casinoing, an angry Sam. It was good. And this entire podcast was birthed by me watching this episode three years ago and getting rip shit angry that I had no one to dissect the terrible play calling in this final football scene with. Uh, there, I've been trying to figure out what you were referring to, and honest to God, that never even entered my mind as a possibility. As soon as they called the timeout to call for the kneel, my blood pressure spiked like 40 points. And I was like, this is fucking unconscionable. The world, the galaxy is crying out for somebody to tear this scene apart. <laughs> and you got to be the change you want to see in the world. So here we are. A noble goal that you've taken upon yourself, my friend. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to help you with that. I appreciate it. And with that, this will conclude Pod at the Montecito. We had a good <laughs> run. We got what I came here for. So, but first, before we pull the fictitious ripcord on the whole damn thing, do we have a new chip leader? As a reminder, last week, I thought Mary had done enough to take the lead. You didn't. Thought Sam still held it. We established the precedence that we have to agree on awarding a new chip leader. So Sam has retained the belt under less commanding than usual circumstances. I think several people had good episodes. Uh, Sam, I think, was a, a positive day. I don't think a great day by any means, but I, she certainly didn't lose chips, I don't think. I think... Danny was mostly successful, but being outcoached by a goddamn seven-year-old, I, I can't give you a dub there. It's real rough. Mary wasn't around a ton, almost got herself arrested for being a sexual predator, possibly, but I guess got through to Big Ed's cold, dead heart. I don't know. I, I don't think I've got a change to suggest. Do you? So Sam won in her battle against Mia, but how many times were we going to let her get bailed out by other people fucking up around her? Like she dealt herself into a bad spot, had essentially won out and caught it. Right. And like at some point we have to be like, come the fuck on. Enough's enough, lady. I don't think Mary did a ton to advance her cause, but she got through to Ed. I maintained that because it was light flirting, she is not a pedophile and is not going to jail. I don't know if it's enough to take it over outright, but I'm pushing hard for abeyance. I think I think Sam is I, I, I refuse to award, reward Sam's bullshit because she played badly and got bailed out sure and you've got to think still at least lost Majelli because yeah. even though mia got fired like what he's going to come crawling back like that's not how that's going to work so you still lost a long-term pretty good client if he's good for 250 a, a trip uh so i can i can certainly understand that i i think 
You may be right. About Mary not being a pedophile? Uh, I'm, I'm not. I don't know where that. I'm not saying she is a pedophile. I'm saying she was going to get arrested and have to introduce herself to her neighbors for the rest of her life. You know, it's it's like the the drunk person that's walking home from the bar and stops to pee and whoops, you happen to be across the street from the school. Sorry, you're a sexual offender now. Yeah, but he's a pervert, dude. Yeah. No, he's a sex offender with a record. He did six months of Chino for exposing himself to an eight-year-old. Huh. When he moved to Hollywood, he had to go door to door to tell everyone he was a petter ass. What's a petter ass, Walter? Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Now, I know Danny didn't do enough. I think he's still top half. Ed, top half. But I mean, just the the shot that he took alone. That's the first time we've we've seen Superman bleed. So that's not going to be enough. And honestly, I think behind that is Mitch. I agree. I agree 100%. I might even bump Mitch above Ed, to be perfectly honest. I think Ed lost some chips with the whole set up a TV in Bellicera bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's that was almost the worst possible outcome. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Because now you've also lost the bar. Yeah. And sure, they're back at work 20 minutes sooner than they would have been if they'd gone to the game. But like. Then you invited them to the pizza party at your nightclub that you closed down. While being an asshole about the Black Eyed Peas to Danny. So <laughs> I think it goes. I think I think you've got Sam, Sam, Mary and Danny in some order. Then Mitch. <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the premier table, Mitch. I, You know, I think you're right. I think you're right. But for this week. Titles up for grabs. We're holding it in abeyance. Then I hereby declare this treaty in abeyance. My friend, what do we have on tap for next week? Next week on pod at the Montecito. Montecito. Two of a kind. In this crossover episode, Ed, Danny, and Mike combine forces with Crossing Jordan's Dr. Jordan Cavanaugh, played by Jill Hennessy, and Detective Woody Hoyt, played by Jerry O'Connell, to investigate the murder of a high-stakes gambler. Meanwhile... Rapper Snoop Dogg tries to convince Delinda to let him film his new music video at the Montecito. Is is high stakes gambler a pun given the context to Snoop Dogg? Like a high stakes gambler? I don't believe so. One who who purloins the sirloins while <laughs> being high on the marijuana? Purloins the sirloins was very good. And I misused purloin, but I couldn't I couldn't help myself. It still it still got the laugh, so therefore you used it correctly. Yeah. Uh I don't remember feeling strongly about this episode one way or another. I think it came after. So they did a crossover with Crossing Jordan. And I think they were on Crossing Jordan first and then this episode. If I recall correctly, I think what it was is that like they were trying to figure out who the dead guy is. And like he had a Montecito chip. And so we got a quick call to security setting up them coming or a receipt for the room or something. So I never saw the original. I've never seen. So I think this happens twice where there's Crossing Jordan crossovers. Um, I have never seen an episode of Crossing Jordan in my entire life. But both times I seem to recall they started with Crossing Jordan because I feel like we get sort of dumped in media race into it in Las Vegas. Yeah, I think I think that's right. So there's a there's a little bit sort of like we we dropped a dropped a gear while we were shifting. Yeah. It's sadly, we cannot just turn on Peacock and check out this no. one Crossing Jordan episode because neither it nor Las Vegas are on the network yet. And I would have actually proposed that if we could, that we do that. But since we have no access to Crossing Jordan, we can't. Right. And honestly, it just occurred to me, how mad would I be if we somehow had access to Crossing Jordan, but not Las Vegas? That would be the worst. That would be a real like cosmic slap in the face. <laughs> 
I'm sure it's a great show. It had a lengthy run, but just from a personal perspective, that would chat my ass. It honestly might make me want to just say, hey, we're just going to skip this episode of Las Vegas entirely <laughs> and not mention Cross and Jordy. We're not going to recognize it. It is non-canonical. It's non-canonical. We're going to re-record all of this so we can strike all mention of it like we will Delinda moving forward. It'll be great. <laughs> Ed, do you have any advice for our audience that has stuck with us thus far? Kids, never, ever, 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 ever turn on a black light in a hotel room. If you ever want to sleep in a hotel again, just don't do it. It's gross. Nothing good is there. I think that's maybe the most actual advice you've given this entire run of FOD. Yeah, this one, not a joke. This is actual, very true. Like if you ever want to have a chance of falling asleep in a hotel room, don't just the less you know, the better. Do, 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 do. Need a longer rainbow trail for that. Deb, spin that up. There you go. Are we spinning up your full advice or the simply the less you know, the better? The less you know, the better on a much longer rainbow trail. I think we might actually have our first item of real merch. It's a good one. Well, thanks to everyone who has listened in, written in, reviewed us. If you reviewed with a five star or the equivalent, otherwise you're dead to us. Thanks to the people who still don't sue us. Y'all are great. Even those of you that are dead. Thanks to the cast and crew of Las Vegas for putting out the episode that launched a thousand dipshit comments from us. But mostly, Ed, thanks to you for coming on this journey with me. No, my friend, thank you for taking us down this quixotic quest just to rip some fucking seven-year-olds playing football. Mostly I'm ripping Danny and Mike for their coaching of these seven-year-olds playing football. Touche. A preposterous play call from Brent, to be sure, but what do you expect? Again, from a fucking seven-year-old. He's at least adapted the shooter-shoot mentality. They really should have called it the annexation of Montecito. (laughs) And there's our episode title. Well, until next time, I've been Judd, he's been Ed, and this, as I'm sure you're aware, has been Pod at the Montecito. This is... It's season two, episode seven, the Montecito Lances. Seven? Isn't it? I thought it was six. No, it's seven. Okay. I just didn't change that part of the copy paste. Carry on. Mike's all ready to use like his high gadget or his high tech gadget. Fuck me. <laughs> English thing. God, I blame you. You really fucked us right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, didn't start great. Told you I was getting mine out early. You should have rolled a seven with me real quick. Get, just get rid of it. It's the end of do 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 It's the end of 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 do 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 It's